Bless the Lord, all you angels of his, you mighty ones doing his bidding, and hearken to the voice of his word. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. We pray these words nearly every Sunday at the Eucharist. They show up in two of our Eucharistic prayers. And another one says this, countless throngs of angels stand before you to serve you night and day. And beholding the glory of your presence, they offer you unceasing praise. Joining with them and giving voice to every creature under heaven, we acclaim you and glorify your name as we sing, holy, holy, holy. This fundamental act of our worship as Christians, the celebration of the Holy Eucharist, every time we gather to offer our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, to receive the grace and real presence of Christ in bread and wine, we do this with the angels, our liturgy tells us. With that heavenly host whose job seems to be the never-ending praise, night and day, of God. But for words that are so familiar and that as a priest I say on a pretty regular basis, I must confess to you this morning that I don't really think about angels all that often sometimes not even in church. And I wonder if you're in the same boat. The stories of the Bible in both the Old and New Testaments are full of angels. Their physical appearance is not always described, but when it is, it has the tendency to be frightening. In Ezekiel, some have four faces and four wings and feet like calves. Others have bodies described as a wheel within a wheel and covered all over with eyes. In Isaiah, they have six wings, two covering their faces, two covering their feet, and two they use for flight. Sometimes they look just like people, like Abraham's three mysterious visitors at the Oaks of Mamre, or the two men in dazzling clothes at the empty tomb of Jesus in Luke's gospel. And sometimes they're invisible, seen only at first by animals, like in that wonderful story of Balaam and his talking donkey in the book of Numbers. In the Revelation to St. John, they comprise an army led by St. Michael, their captain, whose feast we keep today. 
These are the fierce warrior angels depicted in this chapel's windows right here, casting Satan out of heaven. And in the stories of Jesus' birth, they're a heavenly choir. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. Well, angels, it turns out, are everywhere and not just in scripture. Movies, television, Hallmark cards, you can get just about any angel you want from a sweet Florentine cherub with a harp and a cloud for a cushion to the armed archangel with glowing otherworldly eyes here at All Saints. Despite their proliferation in scripture and in the popular imagination, I think we find it difficult to talk about angels because, well, like God himself, we have so few experiences of angels that are not mediated by sacred stories or art or metaphor. And I would hazard a guess that in the end, for most of us Christians, angels are pretty high on the list of the more mysterious aspects of our faith. But what do we know? What can we confidently say? I think two fairly fundamental things. One, you are not an angel and you never will be. I hate to break it to you, but when your teacher gave that report to your parents that you were just an angel today, I'm afraid she really just meant that you were on your best behavior. And while it might sound silly to remind you that you are indeed a human being and not an angel, there is a very unfortunate track record among some Christians that blurs the line between mortals and angels, especially around death that makes this bear repeating. Every time a grieving family is told at a funeral, well, God must have needed another angel. Real harm is done. And not just because that is a very pastorally insensitive thing to say, but because it is a lie. God has everything that God needs. Angels, human beings, and the rest of creation. And God created you to be a beautiful human creature and to have the full abundant life that is promised to such. You, as a human being, are created in the image of God. An honor not once claimed in scripture to be granted to any other creature, including the angels. In the letter to the Hebrews, we hear this. God did not subject the coming world to angels, but someone has testified somewhere. What are human beings that you are mindful of them or mortals that you care for them? You have made them for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. 
Now, in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. We do not die because God needs more angels. God didn't look at the calendar and decide that 2020 was a good year to add 200,000 more Americans into the angelic ranks. We die because we are human and because there is real evil and injustice and sickness and death in this world. We are for a time lower than those angels who seem not to die in their heavenly ministry. But because in Jesus, God chose not to become an angel, but to become human, to take on mortal flesh, to die like we do. Because in Jesus, God chose to become lower than the angels, so we proclaim that through the power of his resurrection, we too, with him, will be crowned with glory and honor and united in the deathless love of the God who created us in his own image. Something far surpassing the ministry of angels. So what about their ministry then? The second fundamental thing I think we can say about angels this morning. At their most essential, angels are messengers. It's what the word means in Greek, angelos, messenger. And we hear this word in that other great Greek word that we usually translate as gospel, and pardon my nerdiness here, euangelion, literally good news, good message. Angels are messengers. And so it's no surprise that in our reading from Genesis this morning, when God's word comes to Jacob to bless him and to promise him the land on which he sleeps, that there are angels in his dream. That the gulf between heaven and earth has been breached by a ladder upon which the angels of God ascend and descend, bringing good news, delivering a message. And so when Jacob wakes from his dream, that place where he slept, which at first seemed so normal, just a convenient place to get some sleep, that place is suddenly charged with the presence of God. Surely the Lord is in this place, he says, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Angels coming with a message. Angels saying God is here. 
which is why every time we gather around the altar, we recognize the presence of the angels and we join our voices with theirs to make our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving because they remind us that God is present. But it's been a tough year to be a Christian who worships God primarily by gathering together around an altar in a sacred space with others to celebrate the sacraments and declare God's presence in them. This building that I'm in, that you can see behind me, well, the angels are certainly here. We're reminded of it in the icons and the statues, in the beautiful windows, at the altar with its colorful hangings. And we could be forgiven for thinking that there's nowhere else we can find God's presence stronger, nowhere else we can hear the angels clearer than in the clouds of incense, the colorful filtered light, and the presence of the saints in the pews all around us. Yes, God is here. And friends, it is good for us to be here. And we will be again. But Jacob didn't fall asleep in a temple. He didn't lay his head by the side of an altar or curl up in a pile of church linen he just dropped down, exhausted, I imagine, and found a stone to put under his head. And there, in the middle of nowhere, suddenly, a ladder and angels and the God of Israel. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Friends, wherever you are this morning, God is with you. Wherever you are pausing to join your voice with the angels for just a while, God is with you. Wherever you are working these days or going to school these days, wherever you are finding food and shelter and company, wherever you are laying your head, God is there. And the angels are announcing God's presence. God has been with us this entire year, not in beautiful church buildings, but in makeshift home offices and virtual classrooms, in that apartment or house that felt big enough when we left it every day between nine and five, but now feels more like a cage than a home. God has been with us on the streets of Indianapolis and Louisville and Atlanta and New York, in the places where God's people have cried out for just a little justice, a little dignity, for the freedom to feel safe in their neighborhoods, in their beds at night, in their own homes. God has been with us on the COVID wards and in emergency rooms with the sick and the dying with those who for just a little while longer are lower than the angels, whom he is leading home to be crowned with glory and honor. 
Friends, this year, God has been with us in the most unexpected places. God is always in the most unexpected places, like on a cross. And even there, and even here, we join our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven and proclaim the glory of God's name. During this, our exile, may we say of all the places where we abide, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Saint Michael, pray for us. Saint Michael, defend us. Amen. <laughs>